Prepare to enter the Elf Tree. Hi there, everybody. I'm Ian. And my name is Joe. And it is Hollywood's biggest night here in Los Angeles. I'm really embarrassed right now that you are sitting here in a tuxedo. I am. On this fine Nothing Sunday else. evening. Just a, just, a, just a bow tie. Here in the Hollywood Hills. Just a bow tie and the, uh, you remember how like in the fucking 20s and 30s. The, the Cumberbatch? The men used to wear the shirts, but the, the, the fancy shirt part was just like a little fucking... But instead of wearing a whole shirt that has the frills and stuff in it, you'd wear just like a normal button-up shirt, and then your front would be something that would attach, and it would attach to your belt. Like a clip-on tie kind of thing? Yeah, except it's a clip-on front shirt piece that's got the frills and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are... Like a mariachi? uh, Yeah, I think uh, for some reason (laughs) what I'm thinking of that pops into my head is the, the beginning of like Peter Pan. Um, oh, okay. When, the, uh, yeah. when the parents are getting ready and the dad's shirt keeps like, you know, rolling yep. up in yep. his face and stuff. That's that's that. kind of what I'm thinking. But that's that's what well, I don't wear that shit, man. That and the uh, and the the Borat bathing suit. <laughs> oh man, the, the the lime green thong. It was like the size yeah, of a shoelace. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes, his it balls is. were tucked in there neatly. Hey, uh, but the, but they were in. They were in. They were in. They were in. Um, but the yeah, hair wasn't. It's it's Oscar night here in here in it Hollywood. It is. <laughs> Isn't that kind of weird? Like like we're we're here in Hollywood in a night where everybody's attention is turned to Hollywood. Uh, we didn't pay hide nor hair of attention to the Oscars in this household. It was very racist this year, so I decided to. Uh, no, I it, hashtag Oscars so white. No, I'm kidding. No, it was it was actually absolutely racist. But I I it, uh, I don't. Uh, uh, I I didn't look into it enough to know whether I think it's racist or not, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a little suspicious. Two have years, you seen Tremo, two years dude? running. Well, there have been a lot of incredible movies that have come out in the last two years in which people of color have been the lead, and yeah. for none of them to be nominated, and all these white people nominated again. Uh, I've said this before. Leonardo DiCaprio. We'll just spoil the. Uh, Let's go ahead. We, and give we, him won't, a hand. we won't bury yeah. the lead. Yes. Won. Arnie Grape. Way to go. Arnie. Arnie won his Oscar. Good Arnie job. wins his Oscar. Good That's job, a... Gilbert. <laughs> um, <laughs> good job, Where's Gilbert. Where's my son? Oh, jeez. I want to um, see my son's but... Oscar. Bonnie, you'll need to fill out some papers. No, no. Police procedure oh, required. My boy, Jerry. But Bonnie, you have my to. My son. Give me my son. I love Darlene. Darlene, come be on the show, please. I think he did a fantastic job. I think he does a fantastic job. I don't think The Revenant was the best acting I saw this year, but I, you know, good for him. You know, yeah. I, 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 I don't think The Revenant was the best movie, and I'm glad it didn't necessarily win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know, I don't know what I think of of how to even gauge what should win the Best Directing Oscar. I don't know. There were so many good movies. I don't know how you choose. I don't yeah. know. I really don't know. I mean, well, it's it, the the most confusing parts to me have to do with acting versus directing versus best picture. You know, it's kind of um, I can understand that best picture is supposed to be the best overall film. Um, it may not have the best directing, may not have the best acting, but as a film, this is probably the best one that Hollywood put out this year. Uh, this year, one uh, uh, spotlight one. Oh, nice! And you said you just saw that, right? I did actually a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. It's uh it's kind of like um, all the president's men. 
mm-hmm. don't know if you saw that back I didn't. in it's it's it was a while back probably in the late 70s um uh, but it was uh, starring Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford and I believe they played two of the reporters that broke the Watergate scandal yep with Richard Nixon, Nixon. yeah and I imagine I am not a cracker. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So it's a it's another <laughs> one of those kind of films that takes place, you know. It's the investigative news team like looking yeah. into a, a major crime. I love movies like that, dude. I like where you get the whole press story. Like what was the one with uh, Argo? Argo was like great. Like where you kind of see the process of something. Yeah. You know, I love that. For me, the investigative side of stories without being the investigators, that's pretty cool. To me, that's why I liked Serial a lot because Serial was an investigative podcast, uh, told over 12 episodes, but not told from the point of view of an investigator, told yeah. from the point of view of, uh, of an investigative journalist, you know, somebody who's there and who understands the need to tell a gripping story in order to, to get your audience to get all of the information that you're trying to, trying to impart. Yeah. Um, and I think Spotlight did that really well. It wasn't a story that I was unfamiliar with because, you know, this the the movie itself took place in like 2000 gosh, I want to say 2003 or 4 or something like that. It's when the Catholic Church, you know, covering up all these priests molesting little boys kind of scandal. Oh, that's what broke. that's about. Okay. That's what that's about. It's about Spotlight, which is the column of the Boston Globe uh, newspaper that does all these stories and they they kind of set it up really well from the get-go like i had no idea what spotlight was i was not necessarily paying attention to politics well not politics but paying attention to um you know current and recent news back in those those days um granted it does sound like one of those like talent show like teen movies where it's like i'm gonna be a star you know high school musical spotlight Spotlight. (laughs) disney channel presents we're gonna do it mary kate and ashley olsen high-fiving Probably not these days. I mean, they're they're very no. They they don't they don't like to make TV appearances anymore. I, I mean, when was the last time you saw Mary Kate or Ashley Olsen on TV for anything? <laughs> Dude, it was in the first few seconds of the latest season that I couldn't even finish that episode. No, I watched. Okay, so now we're talking about Fuller House. We're gonna we're gonna try and keep our audience kind of in tune to what we're talking about. And f- please, uh, we're gonna apologize right off the bat that we're even oh. reporting about these shows to you because we have high standards here. We're being really judgmental without really any reason to be. However, we're explaining to you the reason that we don't give a shit about certain things. There's all this hype around the whole Full House thing. This is how many years after they stopped the show? Many. They come back together, and granted, I haven't watched the whole series, so I will go ahead and say... 1995, that's when Full House ended. That's insane. 1995, that's that's 21 years ago. I guess what became the biggest stars of the show were the Olsen twins. They ended up going on and becoming billionaires. But back then, I mean, what did they do past 18? Uh, They just did a bunch of movies and started a fashion company and... No, well, they know, started. But that's a, the thing. They didn't do anything on on the celebrity circuit, on the 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 kind of the the big public eye anymore. I mean, Mary Kate and Ashley, Mary Kate, excuse me, and Ashley Olsen are twenty nine years old. I mean, they're younger than you and I, mm-hmm. and yet they're everybody knows them from Full House, but they haven't been they haven't been on TV on a TV show except for what I can only imagine is like a spattering of guest appearances yeah. since nineteen ninety five. But they, uh, yeah, I mean, they took that full house money and they started building their empire. Well, they went to school, too. They did all those that's, little twin that's movies. That's the other thing they did. That's true. They did. They went to college. They killed Heath Ledger. 
Um, one of them killed one of them me, killed but... I don't know that was so shady I thought it was so weird yeah uh, so weird um, but I, I I thought that Heath Ledger was just found in her apartment she was out doing something else she was off yeah I, don't, I wouldn't imagine like elsewhere and he was yeah. just staying there because he was friends yeah. with them and it was just a place to crash while he was in New York yeah who knows and you know he just you know he, he took what he wanted to take what was the ultimate conclusion on his death because I don't think I ever really like dug deep into it I just kind of Thought he had a couple drugs that he like a bad mixture, like a bad little cocktail. And Heath Ledger, cause of death, combined drug intoxication. The official announcement of the cause and manner of Ledger's death heightened concerns about the growing problems of prescription drug abuse or misuse and combined drug intoxication. So CDI. Um, I'm trying to see real quick. Right. CDI now. sounds really boring. Let's well, not read about like, CDI. It sounds like SDI or STI. STD. S- well, but they're STIs now. Because technically, you're not contracting a disease. You're contracting an infection. You're tr- contracting a virus. Oh, well. So technically, it's it's a sexually transmitted infection now. Like, as far as the <sighs> CDC goes. You um, just got to keep your parts clean, man. At about 2.45 p.m. Eastern Time on January 22nd, 2008. I remember when this news started to roll in, too. Ledger was found unconscious in his bed by his housekeeper, Teresa Solomon, and his masseuse, Diana Wallison, in his fourth-floor loft apartment at 421 Broom Street in Soho, in the Soho neighborhood of Manhattan. Couldn't have been 420? So it wasn't... Had to be 421? According to the police, Wallison, who had arrived early for a 3 p.m. appointment with Ledger, called Ledger's friend, Mary-Kate Olson, for help. Olson, who was in California, directed a New York City private security guard to go to the scene. So he was found at his own house. Okay, ah. so this is this is all from the initial rumors is that he was at Mary Kate Olson's house, but they they were friends. I wonder what they were friends from. I wonder how how. See, he wasn't even there. How, we were talking um, about it as name? if he was Patrick there. Patrick Verona from Ten Things I Hate About You met uh, met young Michelle Tanner. So that was all hearsay. What we were saying about no, him being in her house. Well, yes, I guess it was all hearsay, but it wasn't. It wasn't like it was rumors that made their way to our ears. Hearsay. It was this nine eleven. Like there are certain things that I specifically remember watching the news and like following the 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 hours that it was happening. Yeah, because it was a big thing in my mind. Nine eleven was one of them. Um, Heath Ledger's death. I remember I was at work, and the girl I worked with, her name was Leanna. She came in and asked one of the guys I work with, hey, can you check in MSNBC? I want to make sure that I'm just not seeing something fake or something. And it was Heath Ledger died, and I was like, oh, my God, what, what, what? And so as soon as I got home, I was, you know, watching the watching the news. I saw them bring his, you know, supposed body in the coroner's bag out, yeah. out of the, the apartment and everything like that. That and then Michael Jackson about a year later. Oh, yeah. You know, that was really rough, and that was something something, too. So... I guess that's like JFK for people like my dad. You know, Robin Williams was a big one. Or, well, yeah, Robin Williams. I was here. Robin Williams. I was on the air with Shelby when uh, when I found out he died. That was weird. Yeah, let's uh, let's knock it off with these uh, deaths in Hollywood, guys. I mean, they're gonna happen. Yeah, well, you know, they have to happen. Well, you know, you get attached to someone from a screen, and it's interesting because. You know, I don't know. And what's what's funny is that uh, you're not that torn up when their character dies because you know that these actors are dead. But when, excuse me, these actors are not dead. Um, but then when an actor dies, for me, it's not the sadness that they're they're no longer with us because I didn't know them personally. I didn't know who Alan Rickman yeah. really was. I'm just bummed that we're not going to get to see a new Alan Rickman yeah. movie. Yeah. You know, I'm bummed. 
although <clears throat> I'm bummed and still excited that I there are a good number of Heath Ledger movies that I've never seen. <clears throat> there are a good number of Robin Williams movies I haven't seen. There's a good number of Philip Seymour Hoffman movies that I've never seen. Yeah. So I at least personally have some bodies of work still to to catch up yeah. with these people. Um, but it, it is a shame. It's a shame to have lost their energy. Yeah. Their their talent. It is. I mean, I think on a like at that level too, you know, because we are essentially consumers of their art. You know, we we grow up le- like loving specific people and you kind of just go like any Jim Carrey movie that comes out, I'll see it except for the freaking penguin movie. I couldn't handle it. Oh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Yeah, you see I had that? to turn it off. I didn't. I couldn't either. handle it. <laughs> I didn't try. <laughs> That's the only I time I've ever it. seen. But, but I didn't see Dumb and Dumber two. Oh, I didn't see that one yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if there's a really good Jim Carrey film that looks good, like, oh, this is you know, Dumb and Dumber Eternal two. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I kind of yeah, I'm kind of going in knowing what they're doing. They're reprising a movie. <clears throat> That was just so good. Easily what are they 15 doing? 15 years old. Yeah. They did the other Dumb and Dumber sequel that was just, I couldn't, I didn't like it. The Jim Carrey that we all know was kind of fabricated. Everybody jumped onto Jim Carrey when he started playing the, the Ace Ventura and the mask and his character yeah. from Dumb and Dumber. And so everybody knew Jim Carrey as this like goofball clown type of personality. Yeah. And the the stuff that I've seen... Well, he was on In Living Color, too. Well, he was. He was. And he had a, a, a good following from that. But I didn't know who Jim Carrey was. I'm sure there's a vast majority of, of people out there that didn't really know who Jim Carrey was because they didn't watch In Living Color. Because, let's face it, they're white. Howdy, kids! I know what you're thinking. We're all perfectly safe in this classroom. Right? Right! right. Wrong! Just about everything you see in here is a potential hazard. Let me show you something. The movie projector. Sure, looks like fun, but it can be very, very deadly. Now, let's just say you're the audio-visual helper for the day. You go to plug this baby in, and you just happen to be soaking your bunions in a bucket of water. You don't remember the Fly Girls? No, dude. I, white I never people watched, watched in Living Color. I, never watched it. I know white people watched in Living Color, but I, it's. I, and I'm not saying that that it was a racially divided show or anything like that. But Jim Carrey was one of the only white people on the show. Jim Carrey's audience didn't grow because of in, in Living Color, but yeah. that's probably where his talent and 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 his ability to become Ace Ventura and, yeah, and Lloyd Christmas all came from his his time on that and his stuff beforehand. But none of that matters if you're in the public eye until you get to the public eye, and then people you are who who you broke as. Yeah, and it's very difficult for people to break away from that. I always loved Jim Carrey's breakaway roles. The Truman Show was not The Mask yeah. or Ace Ventura, and I loved it, even though it, it kind of got panned as a movie. I mean, I don't remember much about it in, in my present mind because it's been like 15 years since I saw that movie. Oh, The Truman Show. Well, it's basically uh, he's. Got his job where yeah. he's just doing the same things every day, driving yeah. the same routes, and yeah. he essentially starts to wake up because he starts seeing like little. Well, I remember the movie uh, for sure. Flaws in the system, you know. Yeah. Well, it, then the light because, comes out of the sky. I mean, the the, the thing the thing that he starts to suspect is that his life is suddenly he suddenly starts to suspect that his life is being fabricated. Yes, yes because mm-hmm. a light falls, and people say it's from. Uh, an airplane just started shedding parts, but <laughs> it turns out it's because his entire life is a TV show and he's living inside a massive dome 
mm-hmm. soundstage, essentially. Um, but it was not a typical Jim Carrey role, and people didn't really enjoy that. The oh, number, I loved it. The number 23. Did you ever see that? Yeah, dude, that I did. I loved awesome. that. Martin just watched it, and he said it was great. He loved it. Yeah. I remember thinking that was freaking, uh, I almost said adorable. Adorable is not right. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, directed by Joel Schumacher, too. Joel Schumacher gets a fucking bad rap in Hollywood, too. Does he? I don't see. I don't know. Like, what? why? Uh, why? Do you know who Joel Schumacher is? I mean, he did uh, number 23. Well, he did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I know the name, but I don't. He I did. can't recall. Uh, Joel Schumacher, um, he's most known for doing Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Oh, okay. Which were very flamboyantly fucking over the top, like... It's like watching Chico's Angels. Yeah. In, yeah, they were with, definitely with Batman. I mean, <laughs> seriously. That's and and he gets a really bad rap for I mean, it's called Schumachering a movie is when you start ah. to like it starts to get into like almost nineteen sixties Batman campy. Like theatrical or yeah. not like almost like you're going to see a show at six flags. Like you're going to watch the birdcage. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's which I, again, I don't think he makes bad movies. I, I think that he's got his, his style and whatnot, but he did the number 23 and I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really well done. Hmm. Um, so he's redeemed. And then Jim Carrey does uh, the majestic as well, which I thought was better than Trumbo. The majestic was good. And it, it, it dealt with the same kind yeah. of, the same kind of subject matter. You know, Jim yeah. Carrey plays a writer that gets blacklisted and you know, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to think about. Like, I mean, even with the Oscars and stuff, and I know how, like, I know, because we were talking about this earlier, I was like, dude, what if next year every single nominated actor was black? Like, right. that would be so crazy to yeah. see. And yet it's so normal that it's just all white actors. And there's, I mean, I don't know the formulas. I don't know who chooses this stuff. I know there's, a, apparently everyone's on this board and people vote, and I understand that. Like, you get a nomination, right? Yeah. And you have to like everyone's voted in. It's kind of like the Grammys. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's, peers, mem- it's like members. A peer vote. It's members of the Academy. So uh, s- if Stacy was an acting member of the Academy, she'd be able to vote for mm-hmm. best actor. I mean, even the nominated is that how that works, or is it like a closed group that nominates the actors? Because who actually wins? Like, is it two tiers where people in the entire Academy are? voting for the nominations and the winner? I don't know. I mean, I know all the different studios pay and and officially nominate. They they officially submit their their films for nomination. That's what that whole all those billboards and full page magazine ads you see for your consideration. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. That's what all that is is please academy board members or academy voting members Please consider our film in this category. Please consider Leonardo DiCaprio's performance for The Revenant. And so I'm sure it's a far smaller selective group of people that chooses the nominees based on the campaigns that get run for them. And then it's everybody who's a member of the Academy. Everybody who maybe it's everybody who's a member of a Screen Actors Guild or the Directors Guild or the Producers Guild. So Stacy might have been, you know, eligible to to vote in acting categories for the Oscars. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do, I do feel that I've, I've been told on more than one occasion that depending on what category you are a part of producer or director or sound, you know, editor or whatever you vote and are eligible in that category and best picture. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Like those are the things, and okay. obviously people are in multiple categories for for varying different jobs and roles and unions they belong to. Um, so they only vote within their bracket. I think so. Again, this is this is me getting it definitely third hand from from at least one, but probably more than one source over my lifetime. So sound design guy. He doesn't understand how to vote for the best actor, so he needs to stay down in sound design. Role. I mean, kind of. I mean, that's that's the thing. <laughs> like, kidding. if you're if you're an Oscar award worthy sound designer, you really shouldn't necessarily know what you're supposed to be looking for acting wise, because you should have, kind of, in my mind, you know, that should have been your focus is your is sound design, and that's that's for your sure. world. You know, you Joe Morales wouldn't necessarily think about trying to win a best acting nom- uh, Oscar, you would be winning either best original song or best sound design or, you know, you know, those or, kinds of things. Uh, best dressed on the red carpet. Or yes, best, uh, best showing of leg. Uh, best uh, smoke coming out of the car as they open the door at the, uh, <clears throat> at the limo. I yes. don't know what that means. I wouldn't show It'd up be you and Kevin Smith, the nominees for that. that I'd ride my bike to the Oscars if I went. I'd ride... It's not that far. How long? How long do you suppose it would take you to ride from here to Hollywood and Highland? Mm, if I took the subway in, you can't take, ride your bike on the subway. Yeah, you can I'm bring talking, it in. No, but that's, I can that's take it ride, to the that's riding the, the subway. I'm talking riding your bike. I'm talking like from your front door to the front door of the Dolby Theater. Riding your bike. I would have to figure out my route. Sure. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I would probably take me about an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. That's that's well. I from your house, I would think it'd probably take an hour. From my house, I would imagine an hour and a half. Yeah, I think it would take an hour to get he- uh, half an hour to get here, and then a- an hour, just depending. You yeah. know, if you had to go, if you had to go along like Lancashire up Ventura, oh people yeah, people don't give a shit about this. What they do don't you? give a fucking shit. Hey, I will say this though, I I will hold my word. If I ever am nominated and I get to go to the Oscars, I will ride my He's bike. He's gonna ride his bike. He's gonna be all sweaty along the red carpet. Uh, does I didn't say I wouldn't ride it straight to the old uh, downtown YMCA, get a little shower in, maybe a little hot tub time, <laughs> hot tub time machine, little little, little back rub. Um, Just kidding. Do you uh, do you have any other questions in terms of uh, who won what award? Yeah, I mean, go through the list. I think it's uh, I, I, the I one mean, I don't time that it's appropriate. The whole list, but do you have a couple? Do you have any that you were you were curious about that? Uh, um, Iniritu, um, Alejandro Gonzalez Iniritu won uh, best directing for The Revenant. Best director. You know, and that's again, I I have not yet delved into what directing is enough to kind of know what makes a good director versus a great actor versus a a, a great film or screenplay or something like that, like. I think he had a fucking challenging film, like all those battle scenes. I, I guess best director, what? It's it's being able to direct the people. Like- His vision. Like he took a screenplay. It's like what Martin would do. We can all collectively write thought form the script. Mm-hmm. But Martin's vision, Martin's direction, the way Martin wants to tell this story, that would be what win him would, would win him an award. Yeah. It wouldn't be because we all four directed and and kind of shaped this vision. Yeah. It's we came up with a story and he shaped the vision for the story and then we as producers executed the story. So if we won Best Picture, it'd be because we executed his vision properly. Yeah. That's how and and the people who stand up and win and, and actually accept and get to take home the Oscar for Best Picture are the people who are listed as producers. Gotcha. Specifically producers, not executive producers, not co-producers, not associate producers. It's produced by JJ Abrams. JJ Abrams is the one up there. Making that gotcha, gotcha speech. Wow, that would be uh, that'd be intense. I'd 
probably just have to wing it. Sam Smith won for a James Bond song. Writings on the Wall from uh, from Spectre. He won uh, nice. Best Original Song. Um, Emmanuel Lubieski, Lubeski, Lubeski. Man, I don't know how to pronounce his Lubeski. name. Lubeski. Uh, he won Best Cinematography for The Revenant, which that's kind of to be expected when you shoot an entire film and it looks as beautiful as it did um, with all natural light. So The Revenant, had it won Best Picture, it would have just cleaned house. Yeah, it, it might have, but I didn't think it was Best Picture, and I'm glad that not a lot of... Uh, I'm glad that more voting members thought Spotlight was better. Because I do think Spotlight was a better story. Um, uh, Michael Keaton did a great job. The execution of the story, I thought, was really, really good. Uh, I do think it lacked in some of the acting yeah. you know, categories and stuff like that, but all, overall, I thought it was great. Uh, Ex Machina won Best Visual Effects, which is funny. Oh, wow. There were the really, from what I remember, the only visual effects in that movie were the main character, were the, the robot. Yeah. And yet it went up against movies like Mad Max and Star Wars that are pretty pretty visual effects heavy. Did they, did they hung, win anything? It held on to its own. Star Wars, I don't think, won anything. No. Oh, shit. You know? But that's the thing. I mean, what was new and, and, and outstanding about Star Wars? Mm, the amount of money it's made that's about well it. exactly right exactly and that's all from fandom so <laughs> it I, satisfied I, little parts of me but i can understand why it probably just was a yeah amy won best documentary which is a the documentary about amy winehouse martin said it was really good i haven't seen it but i, I, seen it, I yeah. was i i thought that that might do pretty well inside out won best animated feature okay that was a great movie good job for pixar yeah. i see i haven't seen it that's good. I, I, that's what I hear. Mad Max won a lot, actually. Mad Max won Best Sound Mixing, Best Production Design, Best Production... Oh, two people won Best Production Design. Um, Mad Max, yeah, did definitely won a lot. The Hateful Eight won Best Original Musical Score. <laughs> I mean, you know. And it, Ennio Morricone, um, he's, he's, a, he's a legendary... I'm not laughing at him winning composer. it. I think he he deserves it. But it's just funny how Tarantino films always get like just totally shafted. Tarantino out. <laughs> knows his music though. That's the thing. Tarantino does a good job with his yeah, musical choices. He does, so. he does. Anyways, that's eighty eighth, eighty eight. The eighty eighth Academy Awards. Um, wow. Those are those are the important winners. So, you know, Basically, we'll the people who are at the very first ten decade of the Academy Awards are all dead. I mean, essentially, yeah. Uh, you know who's you know who actually has come across my radar recently because I'm listening to an interview with him. He's been in this industry since he was two years old. Clint Howard, Ron Howard's younger brother. Yeah, he was the voice of Rue from some of the Winnie the Pooh movies. Really? Yeah. Do you remember seeing the Jungle Book, the animated uh, Jungle yes, Book? Yes. You do. remember there's a baby elephant with a fucking like toupee on and like baby elephants walking around. I yeah, mean, yeah, you yeah. would. That's Clint Howard. Interesting. It's really weird. Ooh. I mean, he's been in stuff since he was two years old, and his entire family has been a part of the the acting world. Grew up in Burbank, like still lives like two miles away from the the elementary school he went to and shit. Like, like little gypsies. It's funny. I mean, they're they're kind of a new staple Hollywood family. Like not the not the Fondas or the. I want to guess around now and yeah. see. You. Well, the Bridges. You know, uh, over Madison County? Yeah, well, uh, the, the, Bo, the, the Bo Bridges, Jeff, the Jeff Bridges. Dude, that's a great family right there. Lloyd Bridges, yeah, exactly. Oh, the uh, Emilio Estevez oh, that's and right. Charlie Sheen. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the Sheen Estevezes. The Sheen, Sheen, Sheen Estevez. Charlie. Martin. Um, okay, so Making a Murderer. This, this shit came out Christmas. 
Damn. like right around Christmas. I didn't watch it until just this past week, and I I'm glad that I didn't because I was not ready to kind of sit and dedicate my time and my attention to it until about now. Um, when did you watch it? I watched it over Christmas. Okay, so you watched it when it came out. I did. So you've been sitting on this information for two and a half months now. Yeah, just kind of. I watched it and I was like, huh, hmm. All right. Uh, so we're talking about Making a Murderer, Netflix original docuseries, which all it means is Netflix bought the exclusive rights to it and slapped their logo on the front. Mm-hmm. What did you expect going into it? I don't know. I always feel like whenever someone's doing a documentary, it's usually like most things that I imagine on a documentary are always about some form of justice these days. So going into it, I felt like, okay, they're going to probably advocate show yeah they're gonna show yes. this guy's whole case and yeah. go through it and so i kind of was already going into it like oh what, what happened what what sucked about his case now that he's in jail and should okay be, yeah I, I read a story today that yes called it it's like let's call it what it is even if even if it sounds controversial let's let's just lay it out on the line that this is advocacy journalism that's you know it's going on mm-hmm. it's it's presenting all the facts of a case with the slant of this filmmaker thinks this guy's innocent. Mm-hmm. And so everything is going to have kind of that slant to it, even though in theory it's supposed to be an unbiased documentary if yeah. you're going to be fair and just about it. Yeah. But fair and just doesn't always make a good docuseries. Which, you know, the thing is, is I always want to be fair too. When I, when I see these things, I'm always trying to look at the best of both sides as I'm watching it. But it's just weird. Like the proof is in the recordings of these people. Like the way... You know, they'd be interviewing some of these investigators and questioning them, and you just see how defensive they get and how, like, good old boy they get with with just the whole, I don't know. It's just very interesting how they're all defending each other, and I get it because that's what they do. That's their club, but I don't know. There was just some really weird, and you see the way these people are behaving and interjecting themselves on cases that they're probably, they shouldn't be around, and they did it anyway. Yeah, there were definitely some untoward things that went on uh, throughout the course of this case. The The weirdest part for me... <coughs> it was the lawsuit. is when he was literally going after... Yeah, that was the problem. Whatever the county was, Matawa or... Ma- Manitowoc. Uh, Manitowoc County. Manitowoc, yeah. Uh, in Wisconsin. Um, but for me, it got a little strange to, to watch when... Because I'm used to watching documentaries. You know, two-hour documentary is 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 okay. It's normal for me to sit there and get invested in a story that's beginning, middle, end of the whole argument within a two, two hour. So we, we should tell people what this story is because well, I initially thought that it was a documentary. I thought it was a two hour documentary. turns out it's a 10 episode, one hour long episode, a piece docu series about the, um, essentially it's about Stephen Avery. It's about the 2005, 2006 ordeal that was, Stephen Avery's accusation of the murder of Teresa Halbeck. Mm-hmm. Halbach? I think it's Halbach. Halbach. I mean, uh, that's long and the short of it is is what the show's about, correct? Yeah. A lot of the footage that has to that that, that comprises this documentary, I think, got it had to have come from that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of it's well, they were so interlaced it, and and right after and the first trial, um, they started, somebody was filming. They started something. documenting like. But I, His I, process. I, I should look into the, the filmmakers and the filmmaking process behind this whole thing because 
it doesn't seem like a story that somebody in 2013 or 14 was like, oh my gosh, this is an enticing story. I need to go and make a documentary about it. It's almost like somebody has been making this this mm-hmm. docu-subject for the last 10 years and just happened to be following things around after, you know, at least during the trial. I mean, dude, it was it's 10 hours long if you it's watch all of time. them. I mean, it's... So it is essentially this was someone's life just following well, this whole case and yes but again whether they were actively following the case as it was going on or if they just had I mean this was also a time period 2000 you know 5 6 7 yeah. when people were starting to film everything so all they might have the, these filmmakers might have only had to get in touch with the Manitowoc County you know court system and said, hey, we know you guys started to film all of your trials back in 2006. Can we get the tapes for these reasons? We're doing a documentary. We have these rights. We have, or we have these permits and all this kind of stuff. Like, it could have, it could have been that easy. But yeah. I, I wonder, because there's a lot of interview stuff. I wonder when those interviews were filmed. Um, I, I literally finished the last episode this morning. Yeah. So uh, this is all still fairly fresh and new in my head. From what you remember... First episode, it talks about um, the the original case of Stephen Avery. He got convicted of a rape of this woman. And when he's like, what, 21 years old, 19 years old or something like that, and he gets put in jail for 18 years. Yeah, and essentially he was falsely imprisoned because the DNA... Uh, that was not tested. <laughs> was eighteen later, years later. Was later tested because technology, I guess, progressed. Well, yeah, because he was convicted in nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, that's when I was born. And and people would go, well, how, how would he be convicted if the woman could see that it wasn't him or whatever? And I I can't remember what they did. She gave her testimony and they recorded it and played it for a I guess a forensic sketch artist. Mm-hmm. And he listened to it. And that's right. That's right. The the picture that he came up with looked a lot like this this pre existing mugshot of Stephen Avery. Mm-hmm. And so the people the people trying to get him released. Um, and even the people making this documentary and the deposition in some of his lawsuits and stuff like that were talking to the forensic sketch artist, and they were saying, this doesn't look anything like her written explanation of what this this assailant looked like, and yet it's almost a dead ringer for this pre-existing mugshot that you likely had access to. Yeah, he definitely had access to it. Did somebody tell you to sketch Stephen Avery? And we went and got him and and you know people that have just experienced some sort of trauma uh, i imagine can be fairly susceptible to suggestions yeah. so if you suggest that this guy kind of fits your description i'm just going to be like oh yes yes fine that's fine because i would kind of just want to get it over with well that and at the time like a deputy got a call from one of the other county jails saying there was a dude claiming i still think that was years later i still think that was at least five or six years after steven was convicted and had been in prison because it was somebody from another county called and said hey we've got somebody in our lockup the guy who actually did it yes we've got somebody in our lockup for doing something completely different that's claiming that he is also guilty of this other crime that you seem to have somebody else already in jail for. Yeah, so five years after he's in jail for this crime. I thought, I thought. It's not reported. It's not put anywhere to where it can actually go up the chain and be like, hey, maybe we should check this out. No one does anything. Right, nobody did anything. And so it's almost disheartening to think about, like, 
a justice system would be so lazy where you're literally getting a phone call years later and you do nothing about it. There's a reason you do nothing about it. Well, I mean, that's... that's. You have a police officer telling another police officer, we have a guy claiming there's a guy doing time. Yeah, you should probably look into it and see what the hell he's talking about and yeah. see if it's... But years later, they do the DNA test. He's exonerated. And even the woman who was yeah. the one who put him behind bars, they ended up, you know, she ended up hugging and apologizing. I think it was just yeah. a whole unfortunate situation. Well, right. I mean, I think I think if you go through something traumatic like that and you have somebody who's who's supposed to be an authority figure, supposed to be a protecting figure like a, a police detective or somebody who's trying to figure out this case, if they tell you that they've got an idea of who they who you know did this and they bring you a suspect of who they think, I can't say that I would be all that clear in my memory. I would be fairly suggestible. I, I don't know. I, I can totally see how she can have said yes at the time, and then once the DNA evidence proved otherwise, I'd have forgiven her because... Oh, I, for sure. I mean... I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing. Yeah. That's a traumatic experience, you know? She was attacked on the beach um, while she was jogging and essentially was attacked. I mean, yeah, she got I raped. Mean, and so... And this is all in the first episode. This is all... Yeah. I thought... I initially thought, okay, so this is a whole 10-episode series, so we're getting an overview of what the case was, and then we're going to go back and actually review all the elements of this case. Mm -hmm. And that is not what happened. We we see Stephen Avery get out 18 years later, and this is when... This is in 2003 that he's released. All the news cameras are there. We have all the news footage. We're seeing what what... Mom and dad saw on TV when they're like, you know, oh, did you hear this story in Wisconsin? This this guy's getting released. Yeah, totally. Could turn on Channel Four. Yeah, <laughs> and this is this is what they were seeing. How you doing? Oh, hello. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How's it feel? It was wonderful. That was Stephen Avery on September 11th, 2003, the day he came home from prison. He was accused of rape, locked up for 18 years. Then, all of a sudden, DNA tests proved he didn't do it. It was a tearful time for family, watching Stephen adjust to life on the outside. Since being released, Avery's tried to get on with his life. I'm going to do what I want now. I had enough people tell me what to do trying to make up the time that was unfairly taken from him. And then a few years later, Stephen Avery, he sues Manitowoc County for wrongful imprisonment, mm -hmm. essentially. He I wasn't... think he initially sued for something like $35 million in, in just complete and utter, I mean, 18 years in prison Yeah, for aggravated rape. I mean, that's that could not have been easy. Yeah, definitely Even... ruins your entire self yeah also back in those days like wrongful conviction lawyers like the precedent or something like that was something like 25 grand in five thousand dollar a piece installments over five years like hmm. i think that was one of the things i remember that was kind of what the precedent had been set to and they were like no there's no way that we're going to settle for this and they were going to end up settling for four hundred twenty five thousand dollars, is what i remember um and the manitowoc county Sheriff's Department would have been personally liable for that. Which yeah, it was like insurance wasn't covering it or something. Right, because of of a certain way that it was all worded and and the the supposed you know mishandling of evidence was treated and everything like that. But suddenly, Teresa Hallbeck goes missing, and this is what the actual series is about. It's about this 
second, more heinous, and incredibly coincidental second set of, of allegations coming his way. Officers came here to arrest Stephen Avery at his brother's home in Manitowoc County. At first, police arrest Avery for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Pieces of human bone and teeth were found on the Avery property, and uh, the bone has been determined to be that of an adult female. And with new evidence, Stephen Avery's charged with the murder of Teresa Halba. Big developments today in court. Your reaction to a half million dollars bail and also being charged with the murder of Teresa Halba. From his Halba. jail cell, Avery actually calls into the NBC 26 newsroom during our evening newscast. What made you call us? I don't know. I just, I don't want to take a fall for somebody who did something to me. I don't feel like doing a life sentence for something I didn't do. Yeah, she was uh, going out to his property to... She's a Craigslist photographer. She was a, yeah, she was taking pictures of his car, one of auto his vehicles, trader. to yeah. put on Auto Trader, and essentially goes missing after taking photos at his place. And pieces of her body end up in a burn pile on his property yeah. uh, where the car is also discovered, which is what prompted them to discover the body in the first place. I thought that it had something to do with uh, any smart search party grids out an area. And they're like, you know, mm -hmm. you guys go to this quadrant, you know, from this place to this place. And so maybe these women just had this corner yeah. was their assigned corner or something like that. I yeah, don't know. it was just it was like the way the car was hidden and everything about it was just so fucking weird. It's like well, and it's the a, guy had a access to a yard, right? Yeah. Avery Avery Auto Salvage is, is one of those yards that has you know, like 10 acres or 15 acres of just cars upon cars upon cars. And you go there if you're like, oh man, I need, I need this one particular piece for my car. So you can go and if you can, if you can fucking unlatch it and pull it, the, the whole piece out there, they'll sell it to you. Yeah. You know, which is great. I've used those, those kind of salvage services myself and it's, it is great because it keeps your, your repair costs down. But yeah, in, so the, the in the case of Stephen Avery, it was it was kind of an unsavory. Yeah, it's just family weird. Where all of a sudden, you know, the car is found on his property. It's covered in some shrubs and sticks and shit, and it's not Hidden, even covered yeah. very well. But it's on this back end of his property where there is access from a back road to it, um, which is oh, away from that. the homes. Yeah, it's on the <laughs> other side of the property from where the houses are. And so, what was interesting about the whole situation was that he had access to a car crusher. And if he murdered a chick, after he gets out of jail, after 18 years, he murders this chick and plants the car, leaves the car on their property, and then the car wasn't even crushed. Like, he had access to crush the fucking vehicle so you wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, why, I, why? I don't understand. There are a lot of those moments. There are a lot of moments that point to him having done this. I just can't imagine. I really can't. If you're going to kill someone... Okay, so... There's no way you don't crush the vehicle. I just can't... I'm not... I wouldn't even do that. I can't even imagine doing that. But if I had a car crusher, I would not leave a murder vehicle. You got to think of what, what people's IQs are, though, too. I don't, I don't take Stephen Avery for a, a dumb man. If someone's going to murder somebody, you're not going to leave the car parked on your property. Just... You're not. On the back half. No, hell no. You're not. I know plenty of people that would emotionally and ragefully kill somebody and not know what the fuck to do next. That's terrifying. I, well, I, I don't really know people that would ragefully kill somebody, but, I mean, 
logic and rage action are two, are two separate things to me. So if somebody's not logically the most smart person in the world, it doesn't mean that they're not capable of of even even premeditatively killing somebody in a very you know orchestrated and precise way. Because that's something that's like, I guess, being an idiot savant. You know, you might not be the most socially adept person in the world, but you could probably plant a very swift and well-timed out assassination of somebody, you know. know. I'm not saying that Stephen Avery is that by any means. I have no idea who he is. To be honest, this this whole docuseries, it did get me leaning on the side of, I feel like he could be innocent. But I, I'm based upon other things that I looked up and read. I think I'm supposed to feel that way. I mean, I, I, I look at it as a case that was all about the money. It's like, is Who, whose money? It was the money that the city was being sued for. Okay. And so they either lose this case, they have to pay out $35 million that they don't have. And that was 425000 Well, that's, that's what, what they ended, ended up paying. Being. Out. But that's because. That that's body what he ended he, up settling out. That's to. how he settled because he had to pay for his legal fees because he was now going back to jail for murder. I thought I think the lawsuit was getting was getting settled and four hundred twenty five thousand dollars was the settlement. And the problem wasn't that he was actively suing them. The problem was the city didn't have four hundred twenty five thousand dollars, so these gentlemen potentially planted the evidence and the city ended up stopping payments once he started getting indicted i thought it was it, well they stopped paying yes on that but i thought he had to settle for that amount because he had to end up defending himself he was trying to oh, prove I his do. case and then all of a sudden this thing turns up and he's now in custody and so he ended up having to settle so he had money to buy a like a decent lawyer okay maybe so maybe that's that's I what I remember parts of that yeah that's why i thought it was unfortunate because they didn't have the money so what they did do they they go from 40 35 million dollars pay someone off 2 million dollars say hey i need you to kill this woman you got to plant the evidence on this dude's property uh when he's away or whatever i mean you just you plan it out you know and here's the weird thing about it all after that whole case with the against the Manitowoc county they ended up being some of the same investigators on his actual property. They ended up planting evidence in his room three days after they swept it several times. Allegedly. So it's like, I mean, that's just in, allegedly. It was laying allegedly. there on the corner, like out in the open. There's no way you would miss a pair of fucking keys. The keys are incredibly suspect, especially since there had been like three days worth of searching in that room. That room had been searched top to the bottom. And suddenly the, that key just happens to... S- show up and it's found by the same i can't remember their names anymore but they were link yes this guy was directly linked to the previous cases um that essentially uh put this guy behind bars they did not like him in this county these people did not like his family i do yeah that's uh, let me ask you this do you think he did it 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 just seems kind of i think he's capable of doing it but i don't think he did it i mean i don't know why you would go to jail for that long in I don't know. At some point, you just, if you did something like that, I don't know why you, that many years later you would c- continue to claim your innocence if you didn't do it. Stephen Avery still claims his innocence. I, he seemed very genuine because after his, he did. Con- after his rape conviction was exonerated and everything, he was actively going around meeting the mayor, like literally the governor or whatever, like doing shit that was advocating for that to not happen to people. And so I don't know why you would all of a sudden be this leading voice. And all of a sudden, you're going to just commit a stupid fucking murder when people know there's a paper trail. This chick is coming to your property. And then here's the thing, too, is she was supposedly raped in his uh, his trailer by his nephew and him. 
and there was no DNA on the mattress. I don't know, man. If it was as brutal as they say it was, there's no way they would not find any evidence in that room, and there was nothing in there. You can't be that perfect in there. The docuseries leads me to wonder whether Stephen Avery is capable of doing what people claim he does, or he has done, and what he was convicted of doing. I mean, he was convicted of doing it. So in order for the jury to have convicted him and me to think that that's incorrect, there had to have been more information that I don't know. I couldn't have thought something totally different than a jury of my peers in the moment thought. There Which, has to be information I mean, that I'm not getting. There I mean, has to be. Remember that at the end, whenever the jury was going to decide, like that one jury had a family emergency, so he had to leave. Yeah. It was a hung jury, basically. And that guy was like one of the biggest passionate dudes that was trying to get people to actually look at the evidence. And I think you can definitely stock a jury that can't even conceive the idea that the very system that that they believe would be completely 100% just would never do anything corrupt. Like you've got people who can't even conceive that law enforcement would cover up this kind of case. Like they would do something like this. They can't conceive that the police department there would hire a hitman to freaking take this chick out. It's their entire reputation on the line. I mean, so they were being put in the spotlight for mishandling this case. Right. Now they're going to be out $35 million. I do think people have the ability at those levels to to take those kinds of lengths. So I do think they had a, a jury that potentially had a hard time seeing that. And I'm just giving my fucking stupid opinion about this thing because ultimately there could be tons of evidence that we don't know about. But I, 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 I will always stand behind the underdog yeah. because I know the system's corrupt. So I really, when I see these kinds of shows, I'm like, yeah, I mean, they covered that shit up. And here's why they killed that chick is they yeah. were fucking going to be out $35 million. That's uh, see, real money when you're talking about it. I, I don't think that it's more likely that they were able to concoct and and execute this massive conspiracy that involves a lot of people's cooperation and deception. It involves a lot of It involves work, a few people. More so than one man just went nuts. And even like when they were sending off DNA evidence, they were it was all suggestive. Yes. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we need to find. Right, but these people are not always the most suggestible. There had to have been coercion and and acquiescence of these people. Like any of the the lab techs that are delivering, you know, lab results that are there was this one lady who she was allowed to deliver her results even though she knew that the control was contaminated. Like, that's against protocol. Yeah. Technically, so she should have redone that, and the judge also should have thrown that evidence out because of the fact that it was not done up to code. That's why you have standards. That's why you have a code. A code that is fair for everybody so that everybody can get their, quote-unquote, constitutional right to a fair trial. Right. That's the thing. I think Stephen Avery could have done it but I don't think that the state proved their case honorably, and therefore I don't think he should have been convicted in the system that we currently serve, ha- have serving as our justice system. I think that, sure, he could have done it, but they didn't prove it. The I state mean, didn't prove it beyond a shadow of my doubt. They're also, I mean, at this time, you know, they're also pulling in the FBI. You've got a population of people that are now looking at this case. You have to clean this up, and you cannot be found guilty as supposedly trusted institution. It's just interesting to see how they were involved and they let these people on the scene, like let them 
go around it and rummage around this guy's property, if I understood these kinds of investigations and I worked at their levels doing these things, I would absolutely know why those dudes should not be on this on right. the scene. Right. And it's it blows my mind that they were allowed anyway. And and that's all I can say is is these people are paid to be professional. They were not. And so I think they were saving face. You know, people who are completely delusional and arrogant and angry about something. Yeah. They'll kill somebody just to do it. You know, I mean it's I didn't know Stephen Avery's violent er tendencies until I started reading other other elements about the case. Like the cat incident was not an, an accidental burning of a cat he doused it in gasoline and tossed it on the burn pit he apparently had uh, a history of actual aggressive violent behaviors um you know so that was also when he was younger and it doesn't mean that i mean he he even talked about it and was remorseful about it and said it was stupid you know i mean well you're no, a heck out in the we country heard him saying that he's sorry and something was stupid but we have no idea that that was in because it was all a phone call yeah you know i definitely heard some of the editing of some of these these phone calls and could hear the edit points so i know that any of these phone calls are slightly manipulated i actually read the interview of the investigator michael o'kelly with brendan dassey when mm-hmm. he's getting him to draw the pictures and brendan and dassey is his nephew brendan dassey is stephen avery's nephew who actually is the reason that they have certain elements of this story like the rape and the the fact that that she was chained to the bed and everything sorry this is really like we should have probably said uh, mature audiences it, i read the transcript of that interview actually and the the docu-series manipulated elements of the conversation that happened when the investigator was off screen that didn't happen when they said that they did. And part of the the story, part of the, the show, relied on the fact that as soon as Brendan Dassey was done with his initial confession, the guy got up and called the lawyer and was like gloating about it. And, oh, it went really well and everything. And that's not where it happened. He wasn't being recorded at that time? Well, he was. He was. But it was a different part of the conversation. It was It was much farther down. It was, it was not as uh, cold-hearted as it seems, as it's presented in the series. And Brendan is not as coerced as he's presented in the series, based yeah. upon at least this one. It was like a 21-page transcript that I read. So... The unfortunate part about it is that I have to remember that these are are human filmmakers sure, yeah. that have a point that they're trying to get across, and yeah. that's great. Same with Sarah Koenig, but I think Sarah Koenig executed it a lot better. I yeah. didn't. I didn't feel as if she was advocating for or against because she she was constantly going back and forth on whether she thought Adnan could do it yeah. and whether or not he did do it. Because yeah. there is a difference. Everybody can have done what Stephen Avery got convicted of. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that everybody would. I don't know. I mean, it I is... I mean, you're absolutely capable of doing it. You accidentally killed a spider. That's not much different than purposefully killing a human being. With the exception of, would you? Well, you, you have to... As like, your well, motivation. I mean... Would never do that, but could. That's the thing is, like, every, anyone's capable of killing someone. Right. You just... Are you the type of person that would kill someone, you right. know? Right. That's... And... That's, yeah. That's a very important distinction. Do I have these things that set me off? Like, you have to know yourself. Like, am I someone that gets set off to where I would ever be so angry that I would do something ridiculous like that? Right. Why would I even give a shit about anything that much that I would want to kill something? Yeah. That's just fucking insane. And so, anyone could kill someone, but... 
you just have to be fucking lost in your thoughts of that one thing that's going to cause you to do that. And I don't, I would think of 10 million other things before I was like, okay, I got to kill this person. You know what I mean? Right. I'd be like, I need to go on a fucking vacation. I need to go like drive. I need to go, I'm not going to go kill somebody. Right. Right. I I could never, I could never imagine that because I know that that would involve a whole set of consequences that I, I can't even fathom. And watching this documentary series, it really did remind me of, yeah, even an accidental, like if I struck somebody and killed them with my car accidentally, that's, that is a whole mess of things that I then have to deal with and, and live with for the rest of my life that are unintentional. But I have to be so on point. I have to be so on, like in control of what it is that I'm doing. Yeah. And that includes my emotions, my temper, my my you know, my love or hate for the world, for elements of, of life, you know, those, those kinds of things. Like if you don't have a hold of who you are and how you view the world around you, I guess everybody is susceptible to, to making a murder. Yeah. Making a murderer, being, being made a murderer, being made a murderer. I'm going to end something on a little bit of a lighter note. Yeah. How do you sleep at night? You son of a bitch. I sleep on a pallet. Okay, you do right. You've got your little. I mean, it's like it's like straight up Chinese or, or uh, Japanese bedroom style. Yeah, I have a little rollout bed, and I just sleep on that with my dog. Yeah, I mean, and and <coughs> what position do you typically sleep? In what um, position? I think it probably mainly on my left side. Okay, and then on to my back. Okay, left side and back. Okay. This is a this is a website I ran across. I don't exactly know where I kind of came across this, but it was something I just wanted to 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 share as little elements of our own personality that we can learn about each other. Oh, nice. Uh, what your sleeping position reveals about your personality. Oh, I mean, this is it might be a little bit of a fluffy piece, but this is also something that comes from from uh, a source that's got some fairly uh, sometimes has some inspirational stuff, and so this thing was was kind of cool to to think of what this could teach us. Um, so I'm going to read out the different categories and you tell me okay. what you'd say your most frequent sleeping position is. And we'll read off that element of your personality. Okay. Sleeping with Joe, sleeping, sleeping with Joe <laughs> belly sleep, arms around the pillow. So it's a picture of this lady, like kind of weirdly twisted on her side, but her <laughs> arms are like up against, no, the- I don't do this we'll, shit. we'll post this shit. Uh, soldier sleep, which is like fucking like plank on your back, like arms down at your side, uh, like a log, which is kind of, again, she's kind of half on her side. It looks like she's kind of on her right side. Fetal position, which is her on her side, all crouched up. I think I do that a lot. Yearning sleep, which is on one side, but her arms are like out straight. Like she's like, oh, Oh, no way. Yearning for somebody. Like a zombie that's. Yeah. Fell Uh, over. On the edge of the bed, so it's her kind of on one side, but like all the way over on on the whole edge of the bed. Oh, okay. Uh, right side, so it's her, her on her right side. Her arms are just kind of just kind of laying there, and then undercover, which is like a person with a pillow over their face. Never do that. Uh, on the move, so kind of I assume moving around a lot. No, I don't really. I don't know if I move around a lot. Okay. I mean, I sleep with my dog, and she's always there. So I imagine if I move, she'd be like, "Fuck this." She was like, here. "Get off me!" Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I would say it's either the the fetal position, okay, a lot, and then sometimes I sleep with my arms like kind of wrapped around the pillow, like okay. I hold the pillow and 
Yeah. Over, over your I head? I like the cold of the pillow on my arms. The yeah. cool sign. Okay. So we'll go with fetal position, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So the fetal position is the most common sleeping position. People who sleep in this position are often tough on the outside, soft on the inside. All right. More women tend to sleep in this position. So uh, you got that in I common? Like woman, woman. Common with the ladies. I typically sleep on my right side or on my back. So we're going to go with the right side right now because I do, I do find myself like a log in those positions. Well, no, kind of just like just like flopped over on my right side. Yeah. I don't know why. I wake. It's not very comfortable for very long, but there's something like mentally calming and soothing about it. Yeah. And it's it's so bad. I really need to I really need to work on my sleeping. I'm not sleeping in a way that is beneficial to me physically anymore it's i'm i'm you should sleep like a vampire like on your back with your arms i do i do i try to go to sleep like that i really do but i wake Mm. up and i'm always on one side i'm always on one side or the other and my neck is always kind of weirdly jolted and my back like it's it's, you ever sleep like a baby with your like your arms back and then your ass is in the air kind of (laughs) like no (laughs) <laughs> People who sleep mostly on their right side often have balanced personalities. Sleeping on the right side is thought to be good for one's health it, as it allows organs to align well. So maybe hmm. me sleeping on my side is better than I thought. So the other way I also kind of sleep is is would be similar to soldier sleep or, you know, vampire sleep if you're like fucking yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. with your arms like crossed like Dracula. Yep, yep. Uh, people who sleep without sprawling out, keeping rather straight, are often courageous. They avoid creating trouble, but they hold each other to they hold other people to high standards. They are reserved. See that that sounds like more of my personality type. You courageous? I think I, take, I think I take yes, I do. I think I'm courageous when I have somebody that has a risk that we want to take. Yeah. I.e. your videos. This is a little off topic. This our our audience has no context, so this is a perfect way to end the show. Um, <laughs> the videos that you want to do, those are the risks. And I have the courage to help us take those risks. Yeah, for so sure. So let's fucking do this, man. Yeah, I'm down. Let's I mean, fucking, that's what let's I want to do. Go for it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, tune in next week. Next week's gonna be a really fun show. Yes, just tune in next week. We're not gonna tell you anything. We're not gonna tell you that Shelby's gonna be here. We apologize if some of this show bored you about the Avery case, because if you don't know anything about it, it's interesting. <sighs> it's worth watching. God. Yeah, I'm just saying, like it is. It is worth checking out. If we if we if we went into too much detail, we apologize. But it, it's. No matter what you do or do not previously know about this case, it is a fascinating watch. Yeah, and definitely, you know, have an open mind. Think for yourself. I could be absolutely wrong. You know, I have no idea if he did it or not. I thought the same as you did until I started reading extra stuff. And then I remembered why. Don't let making a murderer be your only... Uh, your only glimpse into Stephen Avery's case. If you have any sort of interest, go read the actual case yeah. files and, and things like that. And don't forget about the money. Don't forget about the money when you're looking at this Follow case. the rich white man. It's all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, for this week on Hide Air, I'm Ian. And I'm Joe. And uh, brace Stephen Avery. We gotta, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Hydare Pod. Get your ass online because uh, Hydare.com misses you.